Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this first episode for 2021 of the Aquademia podcast. My name is Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And we're going to start off the year by just kind of having a conversation uh, about some of the aspirations and things that we're, we want to look forward to in the future. Mostly considering, you know, we did a little research online and found... A lot of ideas surrounding building a sustainable ocean economy. And there's some really cool ideas out there and, and innovations that are starting to come to light that we just kind of wanted to discuss a little and, and share our opinions and hopefully spark some ideas for people to reach out to us because there's a lot that we don't know about this stuff. And uh, I think we would appreciate a little help and explanation on some of it. But before we do that, how are you guys doing? Welcome back. Good. Happy New Year. Yeah. Happy New Year to all of you and, and our listeners. It was relaxing. I had I had two weeks. Yes. I was yeah. fortunate enough to save some time and I, I took two weeks, spent it with the family because of the pandemic, wasn't really able to go anywhere or see anybody. So we just relaxed and played outside and did some things you know that you usually don't have the time to do. So it was nice. That sounds nice. Jealous. <laughs> I, I took a week off and then I spent a week fighting with uh, with Moodle, but you know all about that. We don't need to get into that here. So I guess let's get right into it. We, um, you know, there's a lot of not so promising things going on in the world right now. Uh, so we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about things that are exciting to us that could make life better if we follow through with them. So uh, a lot of this is about sustainability this time, not as much about seafood, but seafood does tie into it. We'll talk about some seafood topics here. But I want to get into sustainable ocean economy. Maddie, do you have, can you give a quick explanation of what we mean when we say that? Yeah, sure. So basically, the ocean economy is anything and everything that is involving the industry, industries that take place in the ocean. So that's obviously the seafood industry is very much intertwined with the ocean economy, but there's also a lot of other aspects of it. And we're going to kind of go through each different category and so it includes ocean energy, shipping, deliveries, all kinds of different things that you might not necessarily think of when you think of the ocean economy, which is kind of a cool term. Yeah, seafood, ecosystem, all kinds of stuff. And then there's the the kind of Wall Street aspect of it. The, where Where is this money coming from to invest in these kind of things? And we'll get a little bit into that, but I have a feeling we're going to down the road have a bigger conversation about financing these these types of innovations. So... But yeah, the first the first topic that we found that we want to explore a little is ocean energy innovation. I just this is just kind of going to be a, a candid conversation about what we know and what we are interested in and and um, what we don't potential know. future innovations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, um, so the first thing I saw was offshore wind power, and I know that's kind of something that people have a lot of opinions about is wind power and wind energy. Justin, you were just talking about. Can you can you tell what you were saying before we started recording about that? Well, I think whenever you are talking about placing uh, structure, whether it's for renewable energy sources or or not, so the, I guess the conversation we were having before we start push the record button was uh, there's been a lot of mountainsides that have 
been peppered with these wind turbines in my place of birth, the state of Vermont, and there's been some pushback uh, as far as the the natural beauty of some of these mountains not looking the same with these with these structures. Maddie brought up a, a good point about, and I'll let maybe you mention that uh, after I'm done my little spiel. But some of the pushback is from people who have always just had these. If, if you're not familiar with Vermont, it's called the Green Mountain State. It's very has a ton of small rolling hills that at certain times of the year when the the leaves start to change it's just gorgeous a lot of tourism uh takes place around those later months in the year and in some cases people are okay with looking at a bunch of wind turbines and in, in other cases people are not i'm stuck somewhere in the middle but maddie talk a little bit about the class that you took in college and the perspective of some of the younger generation how they viewed some of the wind turbines that, were be, that want to be put on the coast of Cape Cod in Massachusetts? Yeah. So when I was taking an environmental ethics class in college, one of the cases that we looked at was looking at wind turbines being installed off the coast of Cape Cod, which is known for being a place where a lot of millionaires live, where they have these giant million dollar houses right on the water. And a lot of people there are very attached to their pristine ocean view, which is quote unquote untouched by man, where we all know that that isn't true. (laughs) Hence, ocean economy conversation. Um, But anyway, so their reasoning for not wanting wind turbines was just purely aesthetic. They didn't want them there because they were ugly and big. And they, even though they would be like 10 miles off the coast, it's like you'd barely even see them. They still didn't want them. Especially in Cape Cod. You you usually can't see too far out into the ocean. Yeah, that's so true. But all, all of the people in my class who are all pretty much under the age of 25, we all agreed that wind turbines are actually really beautiful because they're kind of a symbol for the future and a beacon of sustainability. And it's interesting, like there's such a contrast between older generations and younger generations, like older generations find them ugly and just in the way. Whereas I find like I love when I'm driving down the highway and I see like a bunch of wind turbines, I just feel like I always have to take a picture of it because it's so pretty to me. And Mm. it's just so interesting because it's completely different perspective. It's cool. It's like jewelry for the horizon. There you go. That's a nice way to look at it. I I think you just got the title of the episode. Yeah. (laughs) I think, uh, I think Cape Cod is a great place to do it. I remember growing up, we'd always go to Cape Cod on the off season because we lived close to here. So we would always go, Oh, non-tourist season and we have so many pictures of us like doing the michael jackson move where you're like leaning forward because the wind is blowing so freaking hard (laughs) so windy if you don't lean forward at a 45 degree angle you'll like get blown away into the ocean so yeah it's a good place for it i I like that that that's i I find that super interesting that it's like it's a lot of the people who don't care about the money because they have it so they don't need to find more ways to save money on energy and all this stuff and then they just you better not touch my pristine view i have outside my window that i paid millions of dollars for so i don't think any of us doing this episode are well versed in like what the regulations are for these like how far out do they have to be and if it's 10 plus miles in some cases then would you actually be able to see them right any and this is where some of our listeners who maybe have more insight to these can can chime in and contact us and we'll give that information at the end of the episode but i'll be curious is there 
is there harm being done when they're putting in when they're putting these structures in? Are they affecting uh, sea travel with vessels? Can you see them from the coast? I don't know. I I honestly have never seen one of these. So I wonder if it's something that you could put like a wind turbine like on the top of a lighthouse, so that there's like dual function there. Mm. Like I wonder could, about the regulation, right? Like if you do something like that, it would the size restriction not be beneficial to the cost right. of installing That's, it? Yeah, there's too the many things that, that go we're into looking it. at. These are these are massive. They're they look huge. Like those those blades. What would you call those blades? Yeah, I think like they are blades. I mean, I don't know how many they look really feet those small are th- when you see them because they're far away, but they are huge. Oh, they're I hiked up uh, Bolton Valley Resort uh, ski resort for one of my cousin's wedding, and they have a couple wind turbines up there and. It was after post reception. It was dark. We decided to just wander up one of the ski trails in the middle of summer, and we sat on one of the ski lifts and just enjoyed like the night view in the in the few houses that were scattered on the hillside. And you had this giant wind turbine behind you, and it was a slight wind, so it was moving just a tiny bit, but it made just like this eerie creaking sound that every now and then you're just like, oh. And Is it going to fall? Into the sky and kind of see this. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> this giant thing, but yeah, they are they are more massive. Most people see them, like you said, Maddie, from the road and from a distance, so you don't realize how massive most some of these structures actually are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, if you already have a structure built for a lighthouse, which is pretty big, mm-hmm. but you have like the platform there, you know, e- either on these man-built islands or these these smaller islands out in in harbors. I mean, how big of a deal would it be to a wind turbine right next to it so it's in the same spot so it's not really taking away from the look on the horizon i mean i guess the people who take photos for calendars of cape cod would not be happy about it but <laughs> i don't know i don't know that's what I if mean, you just made a revolving light on the top of them and just replace lighthouses with these that's true that could work like everywhere except New England. New England will burn down if you <laughs> stop using their lighthouses. Um, yeah, I'm probably going to get hate mail now for just. Yeah, that. I know. Haters going to hate, man. <laughs> That's how you know you made it, though. That's it. I say that all I, the time. I, you know, you're doing something right when the haters start showing up. <laughs> I feel like I, I, I want to get into a lot of these other topics. We're, we're mm-hmm. really focusing on on wind power right now. But I feel like the last thing I want to say about it is. I feel like you would get a lot more energy having wind turbines out in the ocean than you would having them on land. I feel like the the weather is just stronger out yep. there. I think that that's the reason why they're looking more into that. Yeah, but the question is, how do you retrieve that energy, right? And how, like... It requires, like, piping under yeah. the yeah. ocean floor. That's insane like, to me. Like, talk about an investment. A big undertaking. Talk about investment. Do How do you invest in that? How much money do you need to put in to make that happen for one wind turbine? I mean, that's crazy. And so, I don't. I wonder if it's less of the force of the wind that you would get out there because there are some mountains that get some very strong winds. But I wonder if the consistency. Uh, you know, like some day, sometimes you have windy days on the on a summit, and some days where there's no wind, where maybe the the consistency of how many windy days you have, you know, five ten miles out. Uh, on the ocean is just more consistent and you can better calculate what the what the energy you would make from these wind turbines is yeah i think a lot of that stuff has been kind of figured out too like the wind directions and map mm-hmm. oh yeah mapped sure. out and stuff so um it's interesting the other thing that we saw with the um energy innovation ocean energy innovation is tidal and wave energy which is fascinating to me and i don't know enough about it but i did see something about this giant kind of raft type platform 
that just sits on top of the water, right? And the waves make this thing move and bend. And as it does that, that friction creates energy, which is super cool. I don't know how much energy you actually get from something like that, but that's a really neat idea to me. Have you seen that? Have you guys, Maddie, you've seen that, right? Yeah, I've seen it, but I just don't know if it's like super common at this point in time. I think it's pretty like rare to find that. Yeah, it's probably another thing that just costs so much money and doesn't produce enough energy to really justify that. It it reminds me of the floating dance floor, which I mentioned earlier. And Justin, you've never heard (laughs) of the floating dance floor, right? Maddie, do you know about you know about that, right? We used to have one at at my camp. I'm pretty sure. Oh, really? Can you describe how it works? Well, I don't know if it's like technically like an actual dance floor, but we had this like giant raft that was basically a stage and you would just try to like stand on it and basically surf. Okay. So I've seen these things. By surfing, you just like trying trying to to stay upright. Yeah. 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 So I've seen things like it's not like that. You don't notice it like that moving, but there are some dance clubs overseas that I've heard of that I read about that have these things they call floating dance floors. And basically you don't notice it. You just, you, it's a, it's a dance floor and you're dancing at a club, but underneath it is, it's got like some springs or some sensors or something. Basically the movement of people dancing makes it move a little bit and creates energy. So you, the idea is you power your nightclub with the people who are dancing there. Wow. Um, that is really cool. Super cool. And that's kind of what it reminds me of, like the, this flat platform that creates energy by movement and friction. Um, and I think that's really cool. So, you know. Yeah, I, I'm curious, and you brought this up, Sean, and I know that we have some other topics to get through, and I don't want, we don't want to yeah, we'll move spend into too much after, time on these this. topics. But you brought up a good point of, I mean, I, I think of wind turbines, I think of solar energy. You see a lot of those now. I think the cost has gone down with solar mm-hmm. panels and you start seeing those on more and more rooftops. Or yeah, there's a lot of incentive of programs for those. Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder what how efficient some of these are. Like what sort of – none of us know the answer to that. But these, No, I think a lot of them are, su- are used as supplemental. Mm-hmm. Right. But for, yeah, if you're trying to power your house by putting more electricity back on the grid than w- what you're actually using. Yeah. But I wonder, like, how does that compare? What if I had a couple wind turbines at my house, assuming I lived in a windy area? Would that be more efficient or get more energy than... I, I don't know. Yeah. That's technical jargon that someone out there knows that, that, that we don't. But yeah. I mean, do we see solar panels out on the ocean anywhere? I don't know. Again, I think or is it's... it too cloudy? I, I, again, I think only... the retrieval of that energy is what is going to make it difficult. You could generate energy from these things, but how do you get it back yeah. in, onto the grid? Or, you know, is it just used for, you know, recharging batteries, which is something. Okay, so let's get. We're going to be talking. We That's a good segue, yeah, man. Yeah, let's get Captain Segway at your service. <laughs> so the next topic that we wanted to talk about is the decarbonization of shipping. So shipping, not just like fishing, like shipping. I mean, Amazon rules the world right now and shipping. <laughs> Correction, Elon Musk now does. Elon Musk technically now rules the world. As of yesterday. <laughs> yeah. The second, <laughs> stamp. the second ruler is is Amazon. So shipping overall causes about 3% of the global greenhouse, greenhouse gas, gas emissions. emissions. And that to, to put that in perspective, apparently that is basically Ger- Germany's share of <laughs> of the greenhouse and gas. Germany is a pretty big country. Yeah, uh, it's not a third That's world country. So, <laughs> so 
it's it's a massive amount that comes just from shipping on the ocean. And so people are trying to think of better ways to do that. And one of the things, and I don't want to get too much into it because obviously this is just an, in its infancy is electric motors and batteries or hydrogen fuel cells. Obviously, you can really only use those for shorter trips. You're not going to cross the Atlantic on a, on an electric motor and fuel cells, unless maybe you can stop at <laughs> at a wind turbine out in the middle of the ocean and, and, recharge. and recharge your batteries. I don't. I um, mean, Elon Musk, are you listening? Because yeah. uh, come on, Elon. Maybe we he's going to start building some Tesla engines for these vessels. Yeah, if you want to talk about this <laughs> podcast at aquaculturealliance.org, we are yeah, uh, more yeah, than we'll happy to have share you as our a ideas. guest in. Please, you can recreate this engine and you can call it the Aquademia engine. That is absolutely fine. Yep. For sure. (laughs) The GAA 2000. Um, (laughs) But another thing that I thought was really cool is people are are looking at uh, the design of these shipping vessels and ship speed and kind of how they can use the wind. So it's almost like going back in time, right? How can we use the wind to help supplement our shipping as opposed to just powering up the engine and just plowing through whatever route we need to go. Like let's use wind direction. Let's use design of these ships to help reduce the greenhouse gas emissions. And they think they can do that by about 50% just by optimizing some of these things, which is ridiculous. It's really cool. (laughs) It sounds good, but again, the cost who would be, who would be willing to, to delay having you know, well, think about how many shipping fleets are, are out there. Oh, how, gosh. how many ships, shipping vessels are out there every single day? M- millions. And to you're telling me you're going to try to replace all those with new design ships? And then what do you do with all the old ones? There's, there's a lot that goes into it. But I love the idea of a new physical design for these shipping vessels that can help reduce the greenhouse gas emissions. I think that's genius. And it's just one of those things where it's like, why did it take us so long to figure this out? We charged ahead with more wasteful technologies when we, it just could have been simpler. But, you know, it is what it is. Do you guys have anything else you want to say about shipping decarbonization? I just kind of thought those were some cool ideas. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, there's obviously a lot of vessels and cargo freights that are on the ocean going back and forth, delivering whatever it is. And I think looking at ways to reduce their carbon output is important and it's got to start somewhere right you 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 start designing some of these newer engines or newer vessels and eventually laws start coming into place and making requirements in certain countries and then before you know it you know it doesn't happen overnight but give it some time and then that's all you see yeah and i think the um the one thing that's a that's more realistic when it comes to potential changes here in the more near future than the new designs of ships and all this stuff is uh, the use of alternative fuels, right? Instead of heavy fuels. I think that's something that we can much easily start to implement into these things. Uh, It's getting everybody on board. It's getting investors. It's, you know, we, they probably will need to do a lot of alterations to some of the motors and all that stuff to be able to accept alternative fuels. But I think that's something that's a lot more doable and tangible right now. We could have every vessel just go by sale and then just expect shipping delays of months. Yeah. (laughs) And then Amazon will not rule the world anymore. (laughs) (laughs) The reason Amazon rules the world is because that sweet, sweet prime two-day shipping. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, this can work into seafood as well. I mean, all, all these things that we're talking about, these ideas for shipping vessels can, obviously, they can also be applied to 
fishing vessels and aquaculture facilities that are out in open ocean and stuff. And so we talk, we've talked so much about aquaculture. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but obviously aquaculture is a, a massive supplement to wild caught fisheries and utilizing both. We can get a whole lot more seafood on people's plates than just fishing alone. We talk about that ad nauseum. Just go back and listen to all of our previous episodes. But, um, you know, that's something to take into account is we're constantly finding new innovative ways to be more efficient with raising seafood. And all it does is it helps. Well, not, not all it does. That's an oversimplification. But it helps uh, reduce the threat on wild populations. And obviously, we don't think it can or should ever replace wild caught fisheries, but it can help us maintain and, and keep it sustainable. So that's all I have to say about that. We've and, actually I had mean, a lot to say about that. But. <laughs> of course, the seafood industry is a major part of the ocean economy. But like Sean said, we've talked about this a lot. So yeah, we'll move on to the next point. Yeah. Like I said, go back, look in the library of previous episodes, listen to some, if you haven't <laughs> listened to them already. But we talk about aquaculture a little bit in this show, so... Just a little bit. Okay, and then the last one, beside, before we get into financing, which uh, is not going to be a very long topic for us because I think it's something that we're not really familiar with ourselves, but this one uh, is ecosystem restoration. Basically, the ocean is the world's largest carbon sink, right? Maddie, I think you talked about this in one of our first episodes. Can you talk a little yep. bit about, you probably have better insight on ecosystem restoration and that, that effect than I do. Yeah, so wanna... like Sean said, there are... I don't know if the ocean itself is one of the biggest carbon sinks, but there are parts of the ocean that are massive carbon sinks. And I think the most notable one is coral reefs. Yeah, and mangroves. And they just, yeah, and mangroves. So both of those ecosystems, they just trap carbon because they that's what they use, obviously, to feed themselves. So they're a huge help in fighting climate change because we're releasing all of this extra carbon into the atmosphere and then the coral can suck it up the mangroves can suck it up and if we continue with over industrializing the ocean it's really putting a lot of these ecosystems in danger which is then releasing even more carbon into the atmosphere because there's less things to suck it up so it's kind of just like a negative or i think it's called a positive feedback back cycle where it just like extrapolates even more and more every time something happens and just gets worse and worse. So one of the things that we definitely need to be focusing on in the future as we're a part of the ocean economy is ecosystem restoration. And I know one thing that GAA has been involved with is the mangrove restoration project, mm -hmm. which I think was in Indonesia. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. But if, if, if you go back and listen to the episode that we did with George Chamberlain, with yes. the, um, it was, we did a career, career pathways episode with George Chamberlain, who is the president of GAA. He kind of lays out this whole story of how GAA was really founded and it sparked, it was sparked from um, these issues with mangroves and the effect, the negative effects that aquaculture had been having and, and um, the whole kind of basis for it was to start helping with this mangrove restoration type work. So um, mm -hmm. it's huge. We'll, we'll yeah. put a link to that in the show notes. So. Yeah, for sure. That Check episode. And then going on top of that, I think one thing, this is kind of related to aquaculture and ecosystems, but kelp farming and mm -hmm. like 
sea vegetables, those are also a huge carbon sink. So the more kelp and seaweed that there is in the ocean, the better it is for the atmosphere and climate change. Yeah. And those are going to help alter some of the water chemistry as well that we've been seeing get thrown off a little, which is why you get things like ocean acidification, acidification. and you get shell rot disease due to that and shellfish and stuff like that. So, you know, it's all it's all connected and it's never going to be a bad thing if we bring back more coral reefs and we make the mangroves m more efficient and, and larger and healthier and stuff like that. So one thing that's cool that, that you know, th there's ecotourism happening that helps with this stuff. You can book trips to go out and, you know, dive at, at some of the major coral reefs and, and help with some of the work that they're doing with the restoration of those coral reefs. And that's really cool because it's like a vacation that actually makes a difference, mm -hmm. <laughs> a, be a beneficial difference, which is, is kind of cool. I like that idea, more ecotourism for stuff like that, as opposed to, you know, just going out for, for pleasure, scuba diving, like maybe you can do something while you're doing that to help, help with the environment. So that's pretty cool. That sounds like it would be a lot of fun and yeah. there'd be a lot of pleasure in that. I mean, I'm sure everyone doesn't share that same view if they, when you say the word vacation, people have, some people may have specific needs, right? Unplug and ignore everything, but I would love to go do some of that. Yeah. I mean, when I was on my honeymoon, we did one of those excursions where you go out and you go scuba diving in a, at a coral reef and like, that's really cool. But if I could go out there with, and, and I don't know if this is a thing or not, but if I could go out there with a, a little spear and try to catch some lionfish that are invasive, um, that would be cool. And it would be helpful. So, you know, there are different things that you can do. Maybe if you go out and they just say, okay, go out and enjoy your dive. Here's a bag. If you could grab any pieces of trash that you see while you're out there, that would be great. Little things like that. They build up, make a huge difference. So I, I, I'd i be interested in looking more into some of this ecotourism that's happening uh, out on the oceans. Because I feel like that is kind of a grassroots way of actually making a noticeable difference. But I don't And depending know. on where you live, it's not like, Anyone who's landlocked has an has an option to. Uh, I mean, obviously, you can clean your community. Any there's many ways that you can do that, but specifically what we're talking about, we're working with coral reefs and such. You need to most likely travel if you live in the United States. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much a lot of the stuff that we found that is exciting to us, and also raises a lot of questions. And there's a lot that goes into all of it, but. It, it was nice. It's nice to focus on some cool ideas uh, for the future that could be innovative and could help with build a sustainable ocean economy, which is a lofty goal. But there's some <laughs> some really cool uh, ideas coming out coming out of the woodwork. But then the next big thing is how do we finance it, right? That's really the big question. Yeah, because none of these things are free. Well, some of them might be close to free, but. Most of them are not. <laughs> Most of them <laughs> cost buku bucks and uh, we need to figure out how to do it. And I know there's some blue finance, green finance initiatives out there to, um, you know, find some investors and some new some new financing companies that can help pump some money into some of these initiatives. But, uh, you know, that's a big risk for, for investors to take. So I don't know too much about blue finance or green financing. I think we need to try to get someone in here to talk about that. And I know we have some connections with it too. So Yeah, I think that would be a really good episode because it's something that probably affects everybody's job in the seafood industry, mm -hmm. but it's kind of like behind a wall. Like you don't really know what's going on behind the curtain. BTS. Yeah, BTS. For sure. So if anybody has any insights on this stuff, I would love to hear it. 
And if you want to call us out and say the things you're saying are absolutely ridiculous, feel free to do that. If you want to add to this conversation, please do so. You can find us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. Correct? You got it. It's been a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Or email us, podcast at aquaculturealliance.org, and we'll have all of our contact information in the show notes as well as some episodes that we mentioned here and some of the, well, at least one of the articles that we use to get a lot of our information for this. So um, do you guys have anything else you want to say about sustainable ocean economies? Just that I hope that it gives our listeners some inspiration through what, what's been a pretty dark time. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that if we just prioritize sustainability, especially in the seafood industry, which is where most of our listeners are, then we can come out of 2021 looking a lot more positive. Justin? Yeah. I mean, we have a whole series on innovation and there's no shortage of very creative, beneficial projects that are moving the seafood industry forward. Uh, I mean, we're talking about a few of them just on this episode. Some, I'm sure if we can get some experts in these specific areas, we'll learn more and see how far along some of these ideas are actually coming to fruition. But it's a lot of good stuff happening. There's a lot of good things happening before this pandemic, during this pandemic, and I'm absolutely sure afterwards as well. So everyone that's out there wearing their creative hats and coming up with these ideas, just, just keep going forward. You're only bettering the planet, and we look forward to hopefully to reporting on some of it in the future. Yeah, I really want, I'd like to look in more into this the wave energy innovations. I maybe we can find someone that has been involved in the development of some of those things. That's fascinating to me. I'd love to have an episode on that. Yeah, I I, I want to see a picture. I, I picture I would hope that they wouldn't be the same color as the ocean because I could see if they were close to the shoreline that they would just get run over by boats and <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know how big they are. I have no idea. Yeah, it almost. I, I just did a Google image search for wave energy, and it looks like they got some things that go under the water that uh, you know maybe spin or take advantage of it, and then some other things that are kind of flat that get pushed by the waves. There's a lot of. Are they all underwater? No, or do some a lot float? of them are at the surface. Okay, I mean, I think you get most of your wave energy on closer to the surface. So interesting, though. I really need to look into this more. Hopefully, one of our listeners has a connection or is connected to this. Yeah, can reach out. Yeah, for sure. It is interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. So I think that's it. You know, like Maddie said, it's been a really uh, hard time. And I think a lot of people may think right now there's a lot more dire need for uh, investment to go towards other things like vaccination development and all kinds of stuff like that, that we need right now, economic relief. But I think this is also a good time to be looking into these kind of things for the future because- we have time for development and stuff right now, and and if we put a little money into it, it, it could greatly benefit us sooner than we think. Um, so I just you know keep an open mind with that kind of stuff. But that's all I have. So thank you so much for listening. Make sure to leave us a review and a rating on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. And as Sean mentioned earlier, there are two ways you can reach out to us: email podcast at aquaculturealliance.org. We are on Twitter at AquademiaPod. That's it. So thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Ciao. Bye.